Hi, I'm Frank Hernandez, producer of the WTBU News Brunch. And as you will probably hear, we're not coming to you from our acoustically perfect WTBU studio at Boston University. Due to the coronavirus, we're putting this show together online, via Zoom. I'm back home in Puerto Rico, but we've got students reporting from London, Barcelona, upstate New York, and even a few hearty souls that are still in Boston. As the saying goes, the show must go on. So without further ado, here's the news brunch. No breakfast? No worry. It's News Brunch from Boston University. Good morning, and welcome to this edition of the WTBU News Brunch. I'm Hannah Harn in Boston. And I'm Catherine Swindles in London. Topping WTBU News at this hour, Tom Brady is saying goodbye to Beantown. Fans across New England are in shock after Tom Brady announces just hours ago that he will not be returning to play for the New England Patriots. After Brady's contract expired this season, fans have been anticipating his next move. Although he did say in interviews that he was unsure what was in store for him, one Super Bowl advertisement convinced fans that he would not be leaving New England. NBC Sports Boston commentator and sports journalism professor Michael Holly weighed in on Brady's choice to leave. Tom Brady leaving the Patriots, one, uh, is the biggest sports story in modern Boston history. And I say modern Boston history because the only one that really compares to this is Babe Ruth being sold that Brady's decision to leave was a direct result of not being offered a contract extension. Although the decision was to be expected, fans are still upset. Patriots fan Liv Cuevas is devastated by Brady's decision. I can't believe he's leaving. I really felt like he would stay with the Pats until he retired, so I'm truly heartbroken that he's leaving. And um, I hope he has success wherever he goes, but I wish he would have just stayed. Brady broke the news in a heartfelt Twitter post where he thanked Pat's nation and said he will forever be a Patriot. With that being said, he also dropped the bomb that his football journey will take place elsewhere. Where it will take place is undisclosed, leaving some fans with even more questions. Holly predicts that Brady will sign with the Buccaneers or the Dolphins, staying on the East Coast. As of yesterday, the United States is reporting more than 3,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus with a total of 68 deaths. And the White House is emphasizing the importance of self-isolation and hygiene to help protect Americans during the outbreak. At a press conference yesterday, President Donald Trump called for a group effort in preventing further spread, including online classes and event cancellations. My administration is recommending that all Americans, including the young and healthy, work to engage in schooling from home when possible. 
Avoid gathering in groups of more than 10 people. Avoid discretionary travel. And avoid eating and drinking at bars, restaurants, and public food courts. The White House also recommends not visiting nursing homes or long-term care facilities. They advise older individuals to stay at home and for people of all ages to avoid crowds and large events. And maybe a bit of positive news on the corona front. Human testing has begun on a coronavirus vaccine clinical trial. First injections of the vaccine, called mRNA-1273, took place yesterday at the Kaiser Permanent Washington Health Research Institute in Seattle. It was developed by biotechnology company Moderna, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, with researchers from the National Institutes of Health and the Seattle Institute. Over the next six weeks, 45 healthy adult volunteers will receive differing doses of the experimental vaccine to measure whether the vaccine triggers an immune response. Dr. Lisa Jackson, who is leading the phase one trial, said that going from discovering the virus to conducting trials of a vaccine in just two months is, quote, unprecedented. The vaccine is not made from the virus. It does not have any part of the virus. Uh, it includes um, a genetic code that instructs the cells in the body to make a protein that the virus has in order to uh, induce an immune response against that protein. One of the first participants to receive the vaccine was Neil Browning, 46-year-old Microsoft ne network engineer, who said he is taking part in the trial because he wants his young daughters to be proud of him and, quote, giving them something worthwhile to look up to is important. After a brutal sell-off that gave the U.S. stock market its worst loss in more than three decades, the stock market opened slightly higher today. Peter Tuchman, a trader with Quattro Securities, said yesterday, I know the market will rebound. You know, we are resilient. You know, you don't know until you test it, the, the resilience of the spirit of human beings going forward. We will get through this, but for now, we're in a time of anxiety. The White House is also proposing an emergency economic rescue package totaling around $850 billion, while Democrats have proposed their own $750 billion package. President Trump said yesterday that they're more focused on the virus than the economy. Well, it may be. We're not thinking in terms of recession. We're thinking in terms of the virus. Once we stop, I think there's a tremendous pent-up demand, both in terms of the stock market and in terms of the economy. However, Tuchman voiced concern how the market may react to further injections and attempt to rebound the market. If we're shooting every bullet out of the chamber, leaving us at zero, is there, is there worse economic news on the horizon than we think? Italy has become the country hardest hit by the COVID-19 pandemic after China. There have been almost 28,000 cases and over 2,000 dead since the outbreak was first discovered on February 21st. And there are worries that the U.S. may be next in line if appropriate precautions aren't taken. WTBU's Sophie Eisenberg spoke to Francesca Di Stefano, a friend living in Rome, about how life has changed since the Italian government took drastic measures to contain the spread of the virus. Could you talk a little bit about what the last couple of weeks have been like? In the last two weeks, life has completely, completely changed in the country. In Italy now, if you want to leave your, the, the premises of your house, you have to have a declaration, a self-signed declaration that indicates who you are, um, you know, it includes your personal ID information and as a justification for you to go out. If the police finds you and stops you in the street, they will ask you for the self-certification module. If you don't have it, you can be fined. What, what has it been like, especially in the last week and a half? I can tell you I'm currently pregnant and 
I can't take a walk outside, which would be really good for me to exercise. Um, so I, I cannot uh, go out to see a friend. Uh, I, you just have to be home the whole time. Um, are there any ex- unexpected bright sides that have come out of this situation? So at six every day, there is music. Uh, people are going to their balconies or terraces or you know opening their windows and they start to play music they sing together so from one part of the city to the other you can hear music and people singing together so i i think if there is one one good bright side coming out of it is that when when we are in a situation of need italians really come through and and try to help each other and be close to each other thanks to francesca de stefano in rome for speaking to us the economy is not the only thing on a roller coaster today. WTBU special correspondent Ina Joseph is here with more on how the nasty virus is wreaking havoc on our lives. Hey, Ina, crazy times, eh? Absolutely, Catherine. Between university, state, and federal responses to COVID-19, there's a lot to keep up with surrounding coronavirus. I'm here with Dr. Hamer from BU School of Public Health and School of Medicine. Good morning, Dr. Hamer. Good morning. So first and foremost, uh, given the responses to uh, COVID-19, we have President Trump suggesting that people avoid restaurants and bars. Meanwhile, Governor Charlie Baker since Sunday has banned on-site restaurant dining. So between federal and state responses to COVID-19, who's doing it right? And is anyone particularly doing enough? Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, uh, yeah, obviously, there's some differences between what's happening at the state and the federal level. Um, the, you know, the attempts at social distancing are, are part of the public health response that, that, that are important, you know, encouraging good hand hygiene, um, working from home, um, and uh, identification of infected people, isolation of those people, contact tracing. All these can help control the epidemic. And you know whether you know, the, the problem is that it, nobody really knows what the best approach is. You know there there are there are data from from past epidemics, but nobody really does know the optimal way. Um, some of the experience from Singapore has already been published. I think you know, Singapore is more of an authoritarian society, and and they're able to control behavior better than we can in the United States. Is there anything that we can clearly say we should be doing that we aren't currently? Um, and, and I think one of the biggest challenges has been testing. I mean, ideally, if, if there were substantial resources, contact tracing, so you identify if somebody's infected, then you take a history of who they've been with over the last you know, five to seven days during the incubation period, and then try and identify those people, contact them, have them tested. I mean, that, that's a very aggressive approach. That's been used to some degree in China and, and actually quite effectively in Singapore, but that requires a lot of resources that, that really may not be feasible um, in for many public health departments in the U.S. When will things get back to normal? Can we tell? So, yeah, you know, I think we, it's really hard to tell. I mean, the estimates are that the peak, at least in Massachusetts, may not be until late April, early May. Um, and then things will start to subside. But but the reality is that, that we may have a staged return to normal activity. Um, but I don't anticipate, you know, things really starting to open until, you know, late April, May. Dr. Hamer, thank you so much for speaking with me this morning. You're welcome. Speaking of responses to COVID-19, in addition to all Massachusetts public schools closing, many colleges are also shutting down. But Boston University is doing a balancing act. 
moving classes online while allowing some students to stay on campus. While campus may feel like a ghost town, about a third of the student population, 4,000 students, were on campus at the start of spring break, even though the university is encouraging them to stay home. WTBU special correspondent Ina Joseph has been out and about talking to students. We hope from a healthy six foot distance, Ina. Yep, I am definitely practicing physical distancing as I spoke with some of the students who opted to remain in Boston. Despite the concerns over housing refunds, food security, and on-campus income, students are still maintaining a positive outlook. Senior Naveen Inam was actually pleased with BU's response. Contrary to public response, I was a little bit relieved because I was thinking about all the negative repercussions of kicking students off campus, which we've seen um, done with Harvard and MIT. Um, and I think that everyone knows their own health better than the system of BU. Um, and so I'm glad that they gave everyone the individual choice. Having that individual choice proved to be a lifesaver for students like Bailey Connors. For him, going home wasn't an ideal option. You know, back at home, my mother's immunosuppressed, immunocompromised. So I didn't really want to go home and risk tra uh, transferring anything I got here to Boston back up to my home in Albany. Beyond the practical benefits of BU's decision, junior Aiden Chaffin has other reasons to see the bright side of the COVID-19 response from BU. It's not perfect, but in a way it's, it's a good opportunity because I get time to reflect on what I want to do after graduation and look at grad schools and also start preparing. So um, kind of take all the, the pressures of the semester off my plate. Naveen Inam is looking forward to what every student is probably thinking. I'm really excited to take classes with no pants on, um, you know? While there are some definite bright sides to the situation, students are still taking COVID-19 seriously, taking precaution with practices like washing your hands and physical distancing. As seniors whose final semesters are being disrupted, both Bailey and Naveen talked about the importance of doing your due diligence and taking personal responsibility so that maybe we can get back on track and be healthy and back to normal in time for milestones like senior week and commencement come May. Thanks, Ina. Grocery stores aren't the only place being overwhelmed in the midst of fear over coronavirus. Gun and ammunition sales are also escalating. Gun shops in Atlanta, Los Angeles, and Idaho had significant lines, unusually high sales, and a store in Idaho even had to put a limit on gun sales. An alarming piece of data is that a lot of these gun sales are by first-time buyers. Some say they are scared they won't be able to purchase guns in the futures, while others have purchased out of racist backlash, according to Forbes magazine. And we will have more of the WTBU News Brunch, including a presidential look at today's primary voting. Remember that? Stay with us. With all the coronavirus news, it's almost easy to forget there's a presidential election going on. Or is there? Last night, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine announced the cancellation of the Ohio primary, originally set for today, due to the current health crisis. It is clear that tomorrow's in-person voting does not conform and cannot conform with these CDC guidelines. We cannot conduct this election tomorrow, the in-person voting for 13 hours tomorrow, um, and conform to these guidelines. 
Initially, a judge refused to delay the Ohio primary, but in the wee hours of the morning, Ohio declared a state of emergency, nixing the judge's order. Three other states are going ahead with primary voting today, including Illinois. Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, ensured the public that voting would be safe. Voters and workers seem to be unconvinced, as turnout is already unusually low. Amid all this political turmoil, I wondered what it must be like for Americans experiencing it from a distance. I spoke to Democrats living in Barcelona about how they have found living overseas during the presidential primaries. Uh, it was founded in 74, so it's been around uh, 45 years. And I've been president since 2008, officially. At the time, we were about 30 members when we joined, and we're just over 5,000 now. That's Victor Horkasitas, president of the American Society of Barcelona, a networking group for United States citizens and those from other English-speaking countries living in the Catalonian city. The last few weeks have seen a dramatic change in the Democratic presidential primaries, as a slew of moderate candidates dropped out to endorse Joe Biden against Bernie Sanders. This coincided with the voting period for Democrats abroad, which ran from March 3rd to 10th. The results are expected in the upcoming week. In 2016, almost 35,000 people from over 170 countries voted by post and in centers across the world in Democrats abroad primary. And Bernie Sanders won just under 70% of the votes against Hillary Clinton. Currently, Biden is forecast to win seven of the 13 delegates this year. So what's it been like to watch the political madness unfold from a distance? Uh, I, it feels good in the sense I did my duty, in the sense that as, as, a, as a citizen, I voted. Um, but it feels also nice to be disconnected as well, um, not, being, um, not having to follow the news or get bombarded by it every day. Max Lamb, who just moved to Barcelona from New York in November, says he is enjoying being an ocean away from the mayhem. Meaning like if I'm in the, uh, if I'm at work back in the US, um, you know, that's often a topic of conversation is politics. And it surrounds us all um, everywhere at work, uh, socially. Um, so it feels nice to um, be away from what I consider madness, which is the political system right now. But Will Shank from San Francisco feels differently. He voted for Warren shortly before she withdrew from the race, and although he's lived here with his husband and daughter for 13 years, he still feels unable to disconnect from politics. A painful sort of, sort of implosion of the United States is no happier to watch from a distance than it is from close up. All of our friends back in America say you're so lucky not to be here, but in fact, the whole world views it the same way. You know, I wake up and read the New York Times and The Guardian every morning, and um, it's just as painful, even though we're not physically there. And with the news changing by the hour and constant alerts on our phones, staying distant isn't going to get any easier. Puerto Rico has become the first among the U.S. territories and states to enforce a curfew that essentially keeps people in their homes 24 hours a day in order to stop the spread of the coronavirus. WTBU reporter Frank Hernandez says this is only the latest in a long list of reasons the islands is demanding not to be treated like a second-class citizen. In the past four years, Puerto Rico has been making a lot of news. From hurricanes and earthquakes to its protests and coronavirus curfew, the small Caribbean island has been far more present in U.S. media than it has been ever before. And now, in the heat of a presidential race, Puerto Rico prepares to take the spotlight once more. On March 29th, the island will go to the polls and vote for their Democratic nominee. The island counts with 58 delegates, 
more delegates than 22 U.S. states have to offer. However, after March 29th, Puerto Rico will effectively become disenfranchised. Come November, you won't hear their voices. Their votes won't be counted. Actually, their votes just won't be there. You see, Puerto Rico can vote in the U.S. primaries, but when it comes to the actual presidential election, Puerto Rico has no say. Why? Well, it all boils down to the Electoral College. Puerto Rico has no electors in the Electoral College because Puerto Rico, alongside all the other U.S. territories, has no voting members in Congress. The only reason Puerto Rico and its fellow territories can vote in the primaries is because they have a non-voting member in the House of Representatives. That's right, a member that can't vote on any proposed legislation. Puerto Rico has approximately 3.2 million people. The fact the island has more citizens than about 20 states and somehow can't vote for president should be alarming. And when I say the island itself can't vote for president, I mean it. If somebody from the U.S. were to move into anywhere in the world, be it another state or another country, they can request an absentee ballot and just vote. However, if somebody from the U.S. moves into Puerto Rico, they can no longer vote for the general election. They can't request an absentee ballot. And this goes for all of the other four U.S. territories. Essentially, the only place you can't vote for the United States president is if you live in a United States territory. Puerto Rico and the U.S. have a very complex and delicate relationship. Attempts have been made to guarantee federal voting rights to Puerto Rico, but they've all been squashed. Puerto Rico is owed the right to vote for president. As long as the U.S. controls commerce, trade, immigration, naturalization, military affairs, mail, highways, natural resources, social security, federal taxation, and maritime law in Puerto Rico, the least they can do is let us choose who runs it all. For WTBU News, I'm Frank Hernandez, and that's my opinion. Elections in Israel are also on a roller coaster. Israeli opposition leader Benny Gantz has received a mandate to form Israel's next government. This comes as a blow to current Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who declared victory in the March 2nd election, but was yesterday overruled by the Israeli parliament. Yesterday, over half of the parliament voiced support for Gantz, leader of the centrist Blue and White Party, and Israeli President Reuven Rivlin tasked Gantz with forming a coalition. Gantz called on Netanyahu to join him in the unity administration and said, quote, I give you my word, I will do all in my ability to establish within a few days as broad and patriotic a government as possible. But the potential coalition has a lot of opposing factions, which may make forming a viable government difficult, especially as Israel tries to form a response to the coronavirus crisis. Come gather around people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time... The arts have been hit hard by the outbreak of COVID-19 in Boston. Theatres are closing, the Boston Underground Film Festival is cancelled, the New England Aquarium closed, Boston Symphony Orchestra halted all performances, as did the Boston Ballet. The libraries have shut their doors and so have the museums. The Museum of Fine Arts canceled or postponed all programming for the coming month. Among the casualties was Cane River, a 1982 film made by an all African-American cast and crew. WTBU reporter Sophie Eisenberg says the film was recently restored after being lost for over 30 years due to the director's death shortly after it was made. 
Cane River is a strange bird of a film, a collection of reflections on history, race, class, and gender. It chooses to walk around in a romance movie's clothes. But maybe this makes sense. If it hadn't been for love, Horace Jenkins, the film's writer and director, might never have made his first and only feature film. Jenkins was an award-winning documentarian when his girlfriend first took him to her home in Cane River where Creole people had traditionally lived. The history of these descendants of French and Spanish rule in Louisiana ended up providing the inspiration for the film. And your folks, the Matoyans, they collaborated with the Confederate Army. And to make it even worse, you Creoles down there on Cane River, you don't even identify with us blacks. Where do you get this information from anyway? From the book, The Forgotten People. Jenkins' background in documentaries probably accounts for the unique flavor of Cane River. The movie seems less interested in keeping us on the edge of our seats than in sharing what the lead characters discover about their history as they read a book called The Forgotten People, which, by the way, is a real book. I think the story within the story, believe it or not, is far more exciting than the story itself. That's Tomi Myrick, who played the lead role of Maria in the film. In addition to acting and directing, she taught theater and African-American humanities in colleges for over 40 years. Prior to the Louisiana Purchase of 1803, there were the largest number of free people of color in all of the Americas was in Louisiana. If there was anything to take away from that, it is the history of Louisiana and how complicated wonderfully diverse our communities are. Myrick is also a native of New Orleans. She says it wasn't until Cane River resurfaced in recent years that she realized the uniqueness and importance of having an all-Black production. The, the fact that it was an all-Black anything was not shocking or surprising to me, who had gone to all-Black elementary, all-Black junior high, all-Black high school, all-Black university. It was not something that was out of the norm of my sensibilities, because like Zora Neale Hurston, my experiences had only been all-Black everything. The Cane River is rare as a love story as well. The film gives priority to Maria's personal development over her love life, ending with her decision to attend her dream college in New Orleans instead of getting married and becoming dependent on her husband. Myrick was raised by a great aunt with similar values and attended the same college as Maria's character, so she saw nothing strange there either. I was familiar with who Maria was, but who Tommy is and was at that time was already strong and independent, so the so how to deliver those words was never an option. Maybe the strange magic of Cane River lies precisely in how devoid of fantasy it is. Instead, Jenkins offers us a documentarian's clarity of lens as he pans slowly across the lives of these utterly plausible characters. A portrait of time and place, unearthed over 30 years late. For WTBU, I'm Sophie Eisenberg in Boston. Even Hollywood hasn't been able to escape the impacts of coronavirus. No Time to Die, A Quiet Place 2, Peter Rabbit, and Fast and Furious 9 have all been delayed, and NBC Universal has announced that they'll be releasing some films early on their streaming site. Meanwhile, students in the Boston University Los Angeles program are packing up to head home. 
Senior Caroline Berry was already planning to head back to the East Coast when she learned that her friends would be leaving L.A. as well. I was one of the very few people who was already planning on heading home as soon as the program switched into a remote system. So for me, it was a very stressful time realizing that everyone's being interrupted, but especially for people who plan to live out here after graduation, pretty much everyone's plans have just exploded. So While some students like Barry will be able to continue their internships remotely, the large-scale cancellation of events has led many projects to be scrapped and major theatrical releases to be delayed. So things we had already shot were just tossed, um, things that we were planning to shoot for social media, that was all tossed, and then that means that my boss, who is her main editor, and I have nothing to do. It's, It's a huge chain reaction. First of all, with people not wanting to be near each other, productions have stopped, they were slowing down as studios were closing, but now there's a 10-person maximum, so you really can't shoot any large productions. So that's all been stopped. There's a lot less distribution going on, and in turn, theatrical releases have also been pushed. St. Patrick's Day is usually a big deal in Boston, thanks to its large Irish population. Not so this year. The annual St. Patrick's Day parade in South Boston is cancelled due to the COVID-19 outbreak. All of Boston's Irish bars are also closed, except for those offering takeout food. WTBU reporter Kendall Tamer says that this is the first time in 26 years that the South Boston Parade has been called off. Today is St. Patrick's Day, and normally the streets of Boston would be filled with music and merriment, but today the streets are quiet. Dave Falvey, who organizes the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade, says that Mayor Marty Walsh had them cancel the event even before Friday's ban on gatherings of over 250 people. Uh, Mayor Walsh called me and let me know he'd spoken with other leaders uh, and, you know, there was a strong feeling that the the parade should be canceled um, and that things were starting to worse for sure. And um, so I, you know, Falvey says the decision wasn't an easy one. Earlier last week, Falvey announced that they would proceed with the parade, but they got a lot of backlash. Then, when they decided they were in fact canceling, others responded with disappointment. We heard from people that when when we hadn't canceled it yet, they were pretty outraged because of the risk to the community. And then when we did cancel it, there was a slew of people that we're kind of saying that we should should have had it anyway and we shouldn't have canceled it, not that it was really our decision. Um, and there's always been that sort of attitude in Southie that, you know, we got to have this thing regardless of, of what else is going on, kind of like an us-against-the-world type thing. The parade has been happening in South Boston since 1901 and has only ever been canceled or postponed seven times since then, two of those times being for World War. It has been rescheduled a few times due to snowstorms and blizzards, but Falvey said that this probably won't be the case this year. But just knowing that, hypothetically, let's say if we did like a halfway to St. Patrick's Day parade in September, all that work that would go into that, and then I'd have to turn around essentially and do it right over again for, for the March parade. So, I, you know, we already spent a lot of time and energy essentially for nothing. Uh, because this got canceled, and so I think we're just kind of just kind of take it as a loss and move on. The parade honors Irish heritage associated with St. Patrick's Day and military service in association with Evacuation Day, an historical event and holiday in Suffolk County. 
So, though people will be disappointed to have this staple event missing from their festivities, Falvey believes that for now it's best to be safe and that next year they'll just have to make the parade bigger and better than ever. For WTVU News, I'm Kendall Tamer in Boston. Sports have also taken a timeout. All around the world, sports championships and leagues have been either canceled or postponed. In the United States, the NBA and NHL have suspended until further notice, while the start of the MLB and NFL seasons have both been delayed. Locally, the Boston Marathon has been postponed until September 14th. Our expectation, uh, and it's an expectation and and a hope right now, is that this date will, will get us to a safer place in relation to the spread of the coronavirus. In the world of soccer, all Champions League and Europa League matches have been postponed until further notice. The Union of European Football Associations has also just postponed the 2020 European Championship until next year. In all this pandemic panic, it's important to stay safe and healthy. The best way to do that is by practicing social distancing and, of course, washing our hands. WTBU reporter Kendall Tamer has a quick reminder for us on the most effective way to properly wash our hands. According to the CDC, proper hand washing takes five effective steps. Wet, lather, scrub, and rinse. First, wet your hands with clean running water, warm or cold. Then apply soap. Lather your hands by rubbing them together with soap. Remember to lather the backs of your hands, between your fingers, and even under your fingernails. Scrub your hands for at least 20 seconds. Need a timer? There are a few little ditties you can hum or sing to yourself with choruses that are exactly 20 seconds long. And if you can't think of anything creative on the spot, just go with Old Reliable. Happy birthday. Once you're all scrubbed, rinse your hands under clean running water. Then dry your hands using a clean towel or air dry them. For WTVU News, I'm Kendall Tamer in Plattsburgh, New York. While we all work hard to take care of our physical health, let's make sure we watch out for our mental health too. It's going to be a tough time and we'll only get through it if we're kind to each other, whether that be family, friends, or the staff at the grocery store. And we have to be kind to ourselves and make sure to find joy where we can. Like, have you seen that video of the penguins at the Chicago Aquarium? Since they had to close to the public, Shed Aquarium let the penguins explore the exhibits. Seeing Wellington, a 30-year-old rock hopper penguin who is one of the oldest in the United States, Overcome with amazement looking at the fish was truly heartwarming. I bet he was flipping out. And And finally, Thursday marks the first day of spring, which will be the earliest the season has begun since 1896. So from our WTBU news team, coming to you from across the world this morning, happy spring. Buona primavera. Feliz primavera.
Joyeux printemps. Feliz primavera. Fröhlicher Frühling. And that will do it for this edition of the WTBU News Brunch. I'm Catherine Swindles in London. And I'm Hannah Harn in Boston. We leave you now with Antonio Vivaldi's Four Seasons, Spring. Stay healthy and enjoy the outdoors. Thank you.